We began this series last week entitled Discovering uh, the Will of God. We're going to spend one more week on it next week before we jump into our new uh, book study. But last week, we noted that when talking about God's will, the Bible really lays it out for us in three ways. There's what we would call the providential will of God, there's the moral will of God, and there's the personal will of God. Now, the providential will of God essentially means that God is going to do what He wants and when He wants and how He wants, regardless of what man does. It's basically the idea that God is sovereign. And we noted some examples of that, where in the book of Galatians, we read that uh, God said at the right time, when it was the right time, He sent His Son into the world. Jesus' first coming was a part of the providential will of God. It didn't matter, you know, who was praying, it didn't matter what man was doing, God had established a time that He was going to send His Son into the world. And we also noted the same thing about the second coming of Christ. The Bible tells us that Jesus is coming back again, and we know that that is going to happen in God's perfect timing. It's a part of the providential will of God. And then there's the moral will. The moral will of God are the things that God has laid out in His Word that He tells us to do or to not do. And we noted in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, God says, this is my will that you abstain from sexual immorality. We also noted in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 where God tells us to not be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. And so those were some examples of the moral will of God, things that He has made very clear in laying out for us, His that things that He wants us to do and to walk in. Now, when talking about the personal will of God, we can really divide that into two groups. And we started talking about one last week that I'll call the present will of God. And this has to do with certain things that you are aware of presently that God has you doing. It's about your circumstances. And for instance, in my life, I noted this last week that I'm married. And so I know that one of the primary areas and primary things that God wants me to be focusing on is as a primary priority in my life is my relationship with my wife, Denise. And then after that, my relationship to my children. That's all a part of what I would call, you know, God's present will for my life that is equated or connected to, you know, the personal will of God. So here's what we established last time is when we are doing what we're supposed to be doing as it relates to the providential will of God and the moral will of God and the present will of God, that it puts us in the right neighborhood to really hear God's voice and discover his will in that other area of the personal will of God, the one that we are most interested in, where we're seeking, we need direction, and we're wondering, God, how are you going to move and how are you going to work? And we're, we're wanting to hear God's voice. And the thing that we want to really establish today is that one of the primary ways that God will speak to us is through His Word. Next week, we're going to talk about how God will use people, how He'll use circumstances, how He uses His Holy Spirit to speak to us. But probably the number one way that God seeks to speak to our lives and into our lives is through the Bible. David said in Psalm 119, verse 24, Your testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. But here's the question. How does God lead us through His Word? Here's what some Christians do. They try to find a parallel 
passage or, or situation in the Bible, and, and they try to figure out how that you know, equates to their life. For instance, maybe you're here today, and you've come in, and, and you're facing a giant in your life. And so right away you think of, you know, I know somebody in the Bible who faced a giant. It was David. I'm going to you know, open up into 1 Samuel in chapter 17, and what did David do? And what you find there is David you know, got himself a sling, and he went out into the Valley of Elah, and he picked up some rocks, and he took one of those rocks, and he put it in his sling, and he slung his sling, and he threw, and it hit the giant, you know, right in the head, and then he went up to the giant, took the giant's, you know, sword out, and cut his head off, and so, you know, if you're looking at that as a parallel, you know, for your life, and you think, okay, you know, the, over, the, the giant in my life is my overbearing boss, so I need to get a sling, and I'm going to come to work with a rock, you know. Now, if you go and take a, a rock and throw it at your, you know, boss and hit him in the head and cut his head off, you're going to get arrested, you know? You're going to go to prison. And so that's not a good way of trying to discover, you know, the will of God. Maybe, you know, you're facing an obstacle and you think to yourself, okay, you know, who else faced an obstacle? And you think Joshua. Joshua faced an obstacle. It was the city of Jericho. What did he do? He got all the people together. They marched around the city 13 times. They shouted. They blew the trumpets and the walls, you know, came down the obstacle came down and maybe you're thinking you know the obstacle in my life is the principal of my child's school not our principal here but the principal at the school you know, where your child goes to school and you're thinking you know that's what i'm going to do i'm going to get my friends together and we're going to go march around his office and we're going to yell and we're going to shout and we're going to blow a trumpet and that'll just get you on the news as a lunatic you know uh type of a thing so that's not always you know the best way um, to try to find out what God is saying and how he is leading because our lives and our, our situations don't obviously always match up. I mean, God's probably not going to have any of you build a big boat and get two of all the animals in it, you know, type of a thing like he did with Noah. Those are great stories. And what we really want to see and be interested in about those stories is the principles that they teach us. Like, for instance, in the story with David and Goliath, we, the, the principle that we see in that story is that David was able to move with confidence against Goliath because the Philistines occupied land that God had clearly given to Israel and because Goliath was mocking God. And so there was a confidence that David could move in for that reason. The principle that we see, you know, in the story of Joshua in the battle at Jericho is that we must be willing to submit to God and be yielded to his ways and be ready to step out in faith even when it doesn't make sense to us. That was a crazy battle plan. And God will sometimes do that. And so um, it also teaches us that in order to even begin to discover God's will for our lives, we must be aware of a fundamental truth concerning us and God. And that truth is found here in Isaiah chapter 55. That's why I asked you to turn there. We're going to start in verse 6. Here's what it says. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the righteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. What this tells us, first of all, let's pause there for a minute, is that God wants us to seek him. And we established this last week, that God wants us to know his will even more than we want to know his will. So he invites us. He says, hey, I want you to seek me. 
He wants us to know him, but he also wants us to understand something that he says here in the following verses. In verse 8, he says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. So right away, here's what God is saying. You and I don't think alike. And then he says, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. And so that tells us that we don't act alike. And this is something that we need to understand that God is saying between you and I concerning him is that we don't think alike and we don't act alike. That his thoughts are different from our thoughts and so are his ways. So the way that you and I would normally do things The way that you and I would normally react is often very different from the way that God reacts and the way that God responds. In fact, what might seem very logical to you and natural to you is often not the way that he would do things at all because he continues in verse 9 and says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. The lesson that we see in this is that which is naturally intuitive to us might end up leading us astray. What might seem very logical to us from God's perspective might not be logical at all. So we can't necessarily trust our hearts. We can't necessarily trust our natural intuitions or our ability to reason. Because in those things, we can come up very short because God says that my ways are not your ways and my thoughts are different from your thoughts. We have to get that. That has to be a starting point as it relates to, to us and God is an understanding that, that we, He thinks differently than, than we do and He acts differently than we do. Now here's a major problem that we have as it relates to our decision-making. Our decision-making is limited to three things. Context, perspective, and outcome. And our perspective and our context is always going to be impacted by our desires and our fears. Our desires and our fears will impact every decision that we make. I was talking to a young lady not long ago in our fellowship who because of her background and things that had happened to her, she was really afraid to love and to trust and to be loved. And that fear was really impacting her relationships. It was causing her fear that that she was really afraid to get close to others. Because her perspective and her experience told her that when you do that, when you allow yourself to get close to someone, that's when you get hurt. And she had experienced that. Our problem is that we have a limited perspective. Our problem is that we have a limited context to work with. It's limited to our lives, to our time here on this earth. It's limited to where we live. It's limited to what we've been through. It's limited to what our background is. It's limited to what we have studied. But God's perspective is higher. It's broader. It's deeper. His context is as big as all of human experience and beyond. 
His perspective started in eternity past, goes all the way through human history and into eternity future. So how does that help us? Well, by giving us the Bible, God is letting us in on His perspective. By giving us the Bible, He is giving us insight into His mind. He's giving us insight into His heart. He's really giving us insight into history from His perspective. As one person said that history is really His story, and I think that is very, very true. What God is saying by giving us the Word of God is He's saying, I want to broaden your context. I want to expand your perspective. I want to add to your experience, the experience of hundreds of thousands of people throughout human history who have loved me and who have trusted me and who have walked with me, as well as the perspective of those who didn't, who didn't love me, who didn't trust me, who didn't walk with me. What God is saying by giving us the word of God is he's saying, hey, I want to expand and I want to show you my heart. I want to show you my ways. And what we find as we look at the word of God is that he has a proven track record in the lives of people over thousands of years. And that gives us insight into his ways and it gives us insight into his heart and what happens when people trust him and what happens when people don't. Now, does that mean that I have to be a Bible scholar to be able to understand and discover the will of God? And the answer to that is no. And you might be wondering, you might say, why doesn't God just text message me, you know, and tell me what he wants me to do and where he wants me to go? I mean, that would be a lot easier. Well, the answer to that is this. God wants you to know his will, but more than anything, he wants you to know him. He wants you to know him. And the more that you know him, the easier it will be to discern what his will is. Remember when you were growing up, you sort of figured out how your parents thought. Maybe you had a friend who said, hey, ask your mom if you can come over and spend the night. And you responded by saying, no, I know what she'll say. There's, there's no point in asking her. It's a school night. I know how she thinks, and, and, and I'm not even going to ask her. You, you knew. You didn't need to ask because you know how you knew how your mom thinks. You also learned growing up that there were certain, you know, certain time to ask dad things. That was better than other times. Maybe in your family it was, you know, after he he had eaten, you know. After he had a full stomach, it was like, you know, I, I better not ask my dad anything until he gets something in his, in, in his belly, you know, type of thing. And you just knew, or, or better yet, maybe you knew or discovered that, hey, the best time to ask my dad something is, is when he's really busy, you know, because he's kind of so into what he's doing that, you know, I can ask him and he's just kind of like wants to get me out of his hair. So it's like, hey, dad, can I borrow the keys to the new car? And it's like, yeah, sure, whatever, you know, and, and hey, dad, you know, can I have a hundred bucks? And, and, you know, you're wanting to ride it. Dad, can I sell my brother? And, and, you know, he's like, oh, yeah, whatever, you know. So you have an ad, your brother on eBay, and mom's screaming at you. Well, Dad said I could, you know, kind of thing. And maybe you, you realize, hey, the best, that's the best time. None of that applies to my dad. But, uh, you know, maybe that was, you know, your house. And maybe, you know, you learned certain things that it was better to ask mom than dad and vice versa, you know. And basically, what you learned was how to manipulate your parents. 
So parents, don't be surprised when, when your kids are doing the same thing to you, you know? Um, that's what we, we, we learn. But my point is this, is over time you came to understand and know how your parents thought and how they acted and how they would respond in certain things. Well, one of the reasons that God has given us His Word is so that we can learn how He thinks and how He acts and how He responds to situations. Now, the idea, though, is not so that you can manipulate Him because you can't manipulate God. This is where people in the Word Faith movement go way off because they get it in their mind that they can manipulate God, that they're going to name it and they're going to claim it, and if they just have enough faith and if they believe hard enough and, and you know, they're going to yell and they're going to chant and they're going to do all this and they're going to manipulate God into doing what they want Him to do. And really, they resemble the 450 prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel you know, who were crying out to, to Baal. And what a contrast we see in Elijah, who simply knew God, and he knew God's ways, and he knew how God, God thought, and he knew you know, what God would want to do, that he would want to reveal himself to his people. And so with Elijah, it was just a simple prayer, God, show him. God, just make yourself known. Here's my point. God doesn't want to be a mystery to us. He wants us to become familiar with his mind and his ways and his heart. I love Deuteronomy 29 verse 29. It says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. But those things which are revealed belong to us and our children forever. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. Don't get me wrong. There is always going to be an aspect of God that is going to be a mystery to us this side of eternity. But God has done two major things in order to reveal himself to man. The first is that he's given us his word. He's given us his word that reveals to us where he's saying, I want you as you study, as you read, just like you would with your parents, that you would come to know my heart and my ways and how I think and the way that I do things. And, and so he's given us his word. And number two, he sent his son. Jesus came to reveal God the Father to us. In John chapter 1, verse 18, we're, we're told no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. Or He has revealed Him. And the more acquainted that we become with His Word and with His Son, the better we will know His heart and His mind and His ways. And ultimately, the better that we will know Him. You ever been in a situation where you needed to make a decision? And so you thought about somebody that you really, really respected. Somebody that you had watched over years make wise decisions. And maybe it was your dad. Maybe it was a grandpa. Maybe it was grandma. Maybe, you know, um, it was a friend. And you thought to yourself, what would that person do in this situation? For a lot of us, we have patterned our lives after that type of an example where we're looking and we're thinking, okay, what would so-and-so do? That's how God wants us to be with Him. 
so acquainted with his ways that we know how he would react and respond. And that only happens as we spend time with him in his word. Now, next week, we're going to finish up this series by looking at Romans chapter 12. That's going to be our starting point. And we're going to talk about how God speaks to us. Different ways that He speaks to us through the Word and through His Spirit and through people and through situations. But today, I want to make one point from this passage. And so, on the screen, you'll notice in Romans 12, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove. And that word prove means to test, to sort out, and to discern. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Here's the one thing I want you to see from this verse. As we spend time in God's word, here's what happens. Our mind is renewed and a transformation begins to take place in our attitude, in our perspective, in how we think. Right now, we live in a world, we live in an environment that is constantly seeking to conform us, to squeeze us into its mold. In school, there's, you know, an indoctrination that is taking place in so many schools today, especially in colleges and and universities. We get it through the media. We get it through movies. There's a, a mindset. There's an attitude that they're trying to conform us to. But something happens as we begin to open up the Word of God and look at the Word of God and bring our hearts before God's Word. Is it, it, God begins to renew our minds and there's a transformation that begins to take place where we start to see life and we start to see morals and we start to see you know, attitudes and our perspective starts to be God's perspective. And no longer is our perspective, you know, completely attached to maybe a dysfunctional family that we grew up in or something that happened to us as part of our experience. But we're able to take that situation, that experience and line it up inside of God's word and say, okay, this happened, but this is what God's word says. And so this is what's true. And that obviously was wrong and that wasn't right. And so there's this renewing of the mind that takes place as we bring our our hearts before God's word. And so as we finish today, here's what I want to do. I want to give you three things to look for when you're reading the Bible. Three things that will really begin to help you understand going from the premise, okay, the way that God thinks and the way that God acts is different from me. And so I need to figure out more about how God thinks and how God acts and what his perspective is. Three things that will help you in doing that as you're reading God's word. And so number one, look for Jesus. When you're reading the Word of God, look for Jesus. That is to be the heart of all Bible study. What does it tell me about Jesus? Be it in typology, be it in an epistle, what somebody like Paul and Peter, what are they saying? Um, What is James telling us about Jesus? Jesus said, in the volume of the book, it is written of me. 
That's why I am a strong believer that one of the greatest things that we can do, you know, as a believer is to regularly read through one of the Gospels. And what I love to encourage, especially new believers, is when you're reading through one of the Gospels, is look at Jesus, pay close attention to what he's saying. Pay close attention to what he's doing. Watch and see how he interacts with people, and then try to place yourself in the story. So if Jesus is, you know, coming against one of the Pharisees, put yourself in the story and ask yourself, am I in any way like this Pharisee? And if I am, then I need to understand that this is an area of my life that radically needs to change and be surrendered because Jesus didn't like those guys too much. Put yourself in the story. You see him ministering to the blind man or the leper or the woman who was caught in adultery. And you put yourself in that story and ask, how am I like that person and what is he doing? How is he responding? How is he reacting? And the Bible tells us that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so that gives me insight into what his heart is going to be toward me or toward that type of person today. And then take it one step further because in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, Paul said that this is really the goal of Christianity is God wants to conform you into the image of his own dear son. So then you want to look at it and go, okay, I see Jesus here ministering and reaching out and responding in this way. And so that's what God wants to do in my life because he's wanting to make me more like Jesus. So first of all, look for Jesus. Number two, look for promises. And the reason why I say that is because promises reveal God's heart. God is the great promise maker, but he's also the great promise keeper. So look for promises. Look at what God is saying. What he's promising, he says, it reveals his heart. And the blessing for us is that in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, it tells us that all of the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. And here's the blessing. The Bible says, that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you've been placed in him. You've been placed in him today. So all of the promises of God, and and someone added up that there are over 7,000 promises that God has laid out in his word for the believer. Some are our future, some are for now, but all of them are yes and amen. The word yes means that they are certain. It means that you can count on them. And the word amen means that they are true. So look for Jesus, look for the promises, and then number three, look for principles. And what I mean by principles is this, timeless truths that don't change. And they are found throughout the Bible. And here's the thing. It doesn't matter what society is doing. It doesn't matter what generation you are a part of. It doesn't matter what others are saying is politically correct. These are timeless truths that don't change. They're like gravity. You know, if I take my Bible and I let go of it, guess what? It's going to drop on the floor because there is a timeless truth in our environment called gravity that forces things down. And it doesn't matter. You know, someone say, I don't believe in gravity. I'm going to jump off the building. They'll find out really quick that gravity is true. These are timeless truths. 
Look for those when you're reading. Begin to write those down and familiarize yourself with them and you will discover God's ways. Now here's what you find about the principles found in the scripture. Some are stated, some are implied, and some are illustrated. Let me give you a couple examples of principles that are stated. Galatians chapter 6 verse 7 tells us that you reap what you sow. That's a timeless truth. An unbeliever understands that, that you reap what you sow. If you plant an apple seed, you know, what kind of tree is going to come up? Is it going to be an orange tree? Is it going to be, you know, a a peach tree? No, it's going to be an apple tree because there's a timeless truth that you reap what you sow. And the same thing is true in our lives spiritually. You reap what you sow. What you plant into your life, that's what you are going to to reap. And so he continues there and he says, if you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap destruction. But if you sow to the spirit, you're going to reap everlasting life. That's a principle found in God's word, a stated principle. It's a timeless truth that doesn't change that what you sow into your life, that's what you are going to reap. And there's nothing that anybody can do to change that. You sow to the flesh, the outcome is going to be destruction. You sow to the spirit, the outcome is going to be everlasting life. Here's another stated truth. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 tells us, He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And again, if I plant one apple seed, guess what? I'm only going to get one apple tree. But if I want an orchard, then I better plant a whole bunch of apple seeds. You sow sparingly, you're also going to reap spiritually in the same, or sparingly. And the same thing is true in the spiritual realm. If you sow sparingly in your life spiritual things, that's what you're going to reap. You're going to be an anemic Christian, weak and anemic. But if you sow bountifully into your life spiritually, then you're also going to reap bountifully. Here's another one. Proverbs is actually loaded with them. But Proverbs 13.20 says that he who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Here's the principle. The people that you spend the most time with are going to influence you. It's a principle. It's a timeless truth that you can't get away from. The people that you spend the most time with are going to be the ones that influence how you think and how you act. So those are stated biblical truths. Now, here's an implied principle, implied timeless truth. This is a theme that really runs throughout the Bible, and it's this, that the law is for the rebellious and grace is for those who repent. Now, you won't find that statement anywhere in the Bible, but the principle is found throughout it. The law is for the rebellious. The person who, who decides, you know, I'm going to do my own thing and I'm going to go my own way, that's what the law is for. The law is there to point out to them, the Ten Commandments, that they are in sin, that they are wrong. And God says that those who are living in that way, that He's going to judge them, that He will punish them, that His heart is to break them and bring them to a place where they open up their hearts to Him. But the moment somebody comes to the end of them, themselves and the moment that somebody comes to that place where they realize hey i am a sinner and i am wrong and they repent of their sin and they turn to god he showers them in grace god resists the proud but he gives grace 
to the humble. But that is an implied principle. The law is for the rebellious. Grace is for those who repent. In almost every chapter or every book in the Bible, you see that implied spiritual truth. Here's an illustrated biblical truth. Maximum freedom happens when I am under God's authority. We see this revealed in the opening pages of the Bible. When were Adam and Eve the most free? It was when they were under God's authority. Remember, God placed them in the garden. He says, hey, I want you to enjoy this place. I made this for you, and I put you in this place, and I want you to enjoy it. There's only one thing I don't want you to do. There's this one tree here, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and I don't want you to eat of that tree. If you eat of that tree, you are going to die. That was their only restriction. But Satan comes along and plants this lie in the heart of Adam and Eve. You know what? You're not really free at all. You think you're free, but you're not really free at all. And God, he's really holding out on you. And that's why he doesn't want you to eat of this tree, because he knows if you eat of this tree, then you're going to end up being just like him. And so they ate. And they soon discovered what real bondage is. They found themselves in bondage to sin and in bondage to their flesh. They found themselves in bondage to guilt and condemnation. It's there that we read that they said of themselves that they were naked and they were ashamed. And so they hid themselves. No longer free. And that story, and it's, it's a principle, an illustrated principle that you see throughout the Bible. That maximum freedom happens when you are under God's authority. And you know what? That's the problem with some of you here today. You don't realize that. You don't believe that. You still think that if you become a Christian, if you surrender your heart to God, you're going to lose your freedom. When in reality, you will never be more free than when you surrender your heart to God and it's there that you begin to be free to discover your destiny. Discover that you were made by God and for God and that He loves you and that He's got a, a plan for you. Some of you here have played the prodigal. You grew up in the church or you at one point gave your life to God and you have played the prodigal and you've thought to yourself, you know what, I'm too restricted here and I want to go out like the prodigal son did. And, and you ventured out into the world to see what it has to offer. You believe the lie. Hey, Satan's holding out on you. And what you found is that what you thought was going to lead to freedom has really just led to bondage, to sin, to guilt, to an addiction, to a habit, to some attitudes. And God is saying, hey, if you would just place yourself under my authority... If you would just believe that I love you, that I've got a plan for you, you will understand that maximum freedom happens when you are under my authority. That's his heart. 
He loves us so much. So here's what we've established today. God's thoughts for us, God's thoughts are higher than ours. And so are His ways. But God wants us to come to Him. He wants us to know Him. He wants us to know His ways and His thoughts. And that happens as we seek Him in the Word. As we see Jesus. As we see His promises. As we see His principles. And I want to close this morning by looking at the last two verses here. Verses 10 and 11. Where God says, For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven... And do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. And that teaches us that God accomplishes His will through His Word. And His Word is tried, and it's proven, and it doesn't return void. But the starting place for us is when we come to that place where we say, God, I surrender my heart. I'm surrendering my heart to You. We come to that place where we are believing and it's that which begins to, to, to move our lives is that He's God and I'm not. That His way and will and knowledge is perfect and mine isn't. And so God, I understand and I realize that the best place for me to be is under Your authority. Under Your guidance. Seeking to know you and draw near to you and discover as I get into your word, your way and your heart and your will. And so may we find ourselves today in a place with renewed and ignited passion to be students of his word. To know him. To draw near to him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. Your love so rich, so deep. Lord, I pray today that we would really come to recognize and understand that your perspective, your context is so much broader and bigger than ours. And I thank you, Lord, that you have chosen to give us your word and to send your son so that we could know how you think. That we could know your ways, that we could know your will, that we could know your heart, that we could live in relationship with you. And God, I pray for any here in this room today who have not yet entered into that relationship or have played the prodigal and have walked away from that relationship with you, God, I pray today that they would repent. That they would turn from the error of their thinking. That they would turn from their sin. That they would stop believing the lie of the enemy who keeps telling them that you are seeking to restrict and control 
Lord, I pray today that those who are in that place would surrender their hearts to your love, to your heart, by putting their faith or renewing their faith today in your Son. We thank you, Lord. We give you our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen.